Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, today, Donald Trump signed into law the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. You know, there was some rumors that the president was going to hold off on actually signing the bill until after the new year. And the reason for that, if you can believe it, is that if the bill was signed into law this year, then Congress would have to act quickly to prevent these automatic spending cuts from kicking in. Now, you would think Republicans would love to have spending cut automatically, right? I mean, they don't even have to vote. It just happens automatically and spending gets cut. And don't Republicans want to cut government spending? Isn't that how come they, they keep running for election? They, they keep fundraising. We're going to shrink government. We're going to make government smaller. We're going to cut government spending. You know, the reason they have these automatic spending cuts is when they passed these rules years ago, these PAYGO rules in the Senate, the idea was that senators would not want to vote to cut spending because now that vote could be used against them right, by a campaign competitor. Oh, he voted to cut this program. So they set in place these automatic spending cuts so that nobody actually has to vote for it. And so you have some political cover, right? Well, there was nothing I could do, right? The, the spending was cut automatically. But of course, what happens is they vote to exempt the automatic spending cuts from happening, which means these things are meaningless. I mean, when is the world going to wake up and realize that all this talk about you know, controlling the debt in the future is all a bunch of talk because it's never going to happen. Whatever is done is going to be undone because here these Republicans had a perfect opportunity to do nothing and allow government spending to be cut tiny bit, right? To take this enormous government and allow it to be a little bit less enormous. But no, 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 the Republicans couldn't stand for that. But initially, Trump was going to wait till next year because that would have given the Republicans all year to prevent government spending from being reduced. 
But I think Trump was feeling some heat from the media because remember, Donald Trump promised a tax cut for Christmas and he wants to deliver on that promise. So he signed the bill today, but that forced the Republicans to quickly, you know, exempt, uh, you know, Medicare, whatever, from being hit with these automatic cuts, which I guess they've already done. And of course, there was some other stuff they had to pass to prevent a government shutdown. I mean, they were all in favor of shutting down government when Obama was the president trying to get a little savings. But now that Trump is president and they control Congress, uh-uh, no reason to shut down government, no reason to stop the government spending. In fact, ironically, you know, no sooner had the ink dried on the president's, you know, John Hancock on this bill, but he's already urging Congress to send him another one, an infrastructure spending bill. And he wants the Democrats to work with the Republicans to make sure it's a massive spending bill. Because if the Democrats will work with the Republicans, then those few Republicans that want to pretend that they care about the deficit, well, their votes won't even matter because they'll have plenty of Democrat votes uh, to get onto this bill. And this is going to be a major pork barrel spending bill, right, that's going to further you know, blow another hole in the hole they just blew in the deficit, which is already a hole, right? So Trump just signs a bill to limit government revenue. And now he wants to sign another one to increase the expenditures. But they just cut the revenue that they need to pay for the infrastructure. So where's the money going to come from? They're going to borrow it. You know, the president is talking about how this tax bill is the biggest tax cut in history, which I doubt that that's the case. I mean, I know there's been a lot of inflation over the years and over the decades. So maybe in dollar terms, maybe this is the biggest tax cut. Maybe if you measure it over 10 years or something. Um, And of course, I think the tax cut's going to be much bigger, right, than what they believe, because I believe that they've opened up much bigger loopholes than they have factored into their analysis. But clearly, if you look at the value of the tax cuts in relation to our GDP, which would take away the inflation component... Clearly, this is not even close to the biggest tax cut, but that's how Donald Trump wants to brand this thing, right? It's my tax cut. Therefore, it's going to be the biggest, right? Everything about Donald Trump's got to be the biggest. So if he's cutting taxes, well, it's got to be the the biggest tax cut ever. But one thing that will for sure be the biggest under Trump are the deficits. I think he'll even take out the deficits of Obama, which were enormous. You know, early on in the Obama administration, he had these huge deficits, Well, I think the Trump deficits are going to be even bigger because not only are we blowing them up with the tax cuts, but we're going to blow it up with increased government spending. You know, ironically, Ivanka Trump was on um, Fox, did an interview. And I first found out about it because I was reading some of the media's accounts of all the, you know, the, the dumb things that she said, and they were kind of making fun of her. And I went and watched the interview and I was expecting it to be a lot worse than it was. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, she did a a good job apart from these two really foolish things that she let slip out, which really shows you how little she actually understands about what's going on. But as far as her poise and the way she conducted herself, I mean, you know, I think she did a good job in the interview. Uh, But the two things that she said that the media jumped on which I'm going to talk about too, to to criticize her. One is she said that she thought that these tax cuts were going to create enough economic growth to finally allow us to eliminate the national debt, eliminate the debt. $21 trillion of debt, according to Ivanka Trump, is going to be eliminated 
by these tax cuts. I mean, not only isn't the national debt going to be eliminated, it is going to be made much bigger by these tax cuts. But even if this was a responsible tax cut that was coupled with you know, spending cuts, I mean, how are we going to pay off $21 trillion? That would mean the government would have to collect $21 trillion worth of tax revenue and not spend it on anything. Just repay the bondholders the money they've loaned us. I mean, that's never going to happen. I mean, what would be amazing is if the tax cuts just prevented the national debt from getting bigger. But they're not even going to do that. They're going to do the opposite. They're going to make sure that the national debt, which was already going to get bigger, is going to get even bigger than that as a result of these tax cuts. But the other foolish thing that she said is she said she couldn't wait until uh, April because when April came around, she was going to go around the country and she was excited because the vast majority of people, according to Ivanka Trump, are going to be you know uh, happy to find that they're now filing their tax returns on a postcard, which of course nobody is going to be doing. The IRS is not sending out 1040 postcards. I mean, the forms are still there. I mean, all this filling out your tax return on a postcard, that was what Donald Trump was saying when he was politicking for tax simplification, right? We want to simplify taxes. We want to make it so you can fill out your tax returns on a postcard. Well, forget about that. I mean, first of all, people that actually need accountants, right? This, this, this tax code is far more complex than it was before. They have opened up far more loopholes than they have closed. This is an accountant's dream. Right, they're, they're going to make a ton of money, the tax attorneys and the accountants. People are going to be spending a lot more money trying to understand this tax code than the last one. And they're going to be spending even more money figuring out how to game it, figuring out how to use these new loopholes or new deductions to minimize their tax liability. Now, maybe if you're one of the people who can take the standard deduction and you used to itemize and now you're not going to itemize, I guess for you taxes will be a little more simple. Uh, and that is the majority of people, but they're not going to be filing on a postcard. But for everybody else, especially people who run small businesses or people who are now employees who are soon to be small business owners because they're going to quit their jobs in order to reduce their taxes, uh, those people are going to be uh, you know, filling out or dealing with far more complex uh, tax laws than the ones that exist today. You know, no sooner had... Uh, this bill been signed. In fact, even before it was signed, you had all these companies that were coming out really, you know, playing up a kissing butt really to the president by announcing like these pay hikes, right? We're going to give our employees raises thanks to the tax cuts. Now, personally, I don't believe that these raises have anything to do with the tax cuts. I mean, a lot of these raises may have been planned anyway, and they're just now saying that we're doing it because of the tax cuts. I mean, companies may have been planning to raise some workers' pay January 1st, and, and but now they're taking an opportunity uh, to pretend that, well, we're doing this because we're giving back, we're, you know, we're giving part of our tax hikes. But if you actually look at the announcements, I mean, some companies say, oh, we're going to take, we're going to raise a very small percentage of our workforce. We're going to give them a raise here. I mean, all of this is show. All this is meant to try to curry favor with the with the president, with the public, uh, it's all you know. It's all it's all for show, right? None of this is simply a, a direct consequence of of these tax cuts. But the biggest problem that you're we're going to have, or that the president is going to have, with these tax cuts, is he now owns the economy, and that is going to be a big problem 
because this is now Trump's economy. This is now the Republican economy. Now, Trump already owns the stock market, right? And that served him well so far this year. But you know what? The stock market could be getting ready to enter a big bear market. You know, I'm watching on CNBC this week, and I've never seen so much bullishness, so much unfettered optimism on the market in my life. Not only on the market, on the economy. It's a no-brainer, right? Every guest after guest, there's no way the market can't go up. This is such good news. It's, you know, unquestionably good. The only question is, how much higher is it going to go, right? One bull after another. You know, nobody is bearish. You know, they won't even let me on CNBC. I, I'm, they've banned me from their network. I was scheduled to be on uh, with Rick Santelli, I don't know, eight months ago, a year ago. I forget when it was. And they canceled my appearance for no reason, just abruptly. And since then, they've never booked me. Not only did they not rebook me on Rick Santelli, but they've never booked me on any of their programs, including Futures Now, which was one of the programs that still had me on. They haven't had me on either. I don't think CNBC wants my viewpoint on their air, right? At least during the the housing bubble, they had me on all the time. They were willing to allow my point of view to be expressed on the air. And of course, it turned out I was completely right. And but now they don't even want me to be heard. And it's not that I'm, you know, bad ratings. I mean, they used to tell me that they never got more uh, positive emails than when I was a guest. They, I would come on and they'd get all kinds of emails, have Peter Schiff on more often. Thanks for having Peter Schiff on. You know, and a lot of times when they were doing their 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 stuff online initially, they started doing stuff on the internet, they always wanted me on because they knew if they put me on, they would have a lot more traffic. And so if they were trying to get hits, they always wanted to do something with me. So I know I'm good ratings. So why is it that I'm banned, right? I don't think CNBC wants an investment professional to come on and be bearish, right? To talk about the problems that underlie the economy, right? To talk about the problems with the stock market. It's all bullish. I've never seen it. In fact, I think I mentioned on a prior podcast that individual investors have never been this optimistic on the stock market as they are now, and which is an incredible uh, contrarian indicator. I've already seen that with my own clients. I have lots of clients who never bought, wanted to buy U.S. stocks when Obama was president. All of a sudden, they want to buy U.S. stocks. My, people who are very negative uh, on the economy, on the stock market, came to me to invest internationally. Now a number of these people, oh, they want to get into the U.S. stock market. After all these years of not wanting to be in the U.S. stock market, right? I couldn't convince them to get in the U.S. stock market. You know, I had a U.S. fund, uh, you know, just for clients who wanted to invest in the U.S. stock market, but nobody would buy it. I, I shut it down because I couldn't get any interest. My clients did not want to be in the U.S. stock market. Not that I was encouraging them to, but I just, hey, if you wanted it, I, you know, just so I have some product. But now all of a sudden, that's all they want to do. So I have never been uh, this sure of how, of, of how much better international stocks are going to do than uh, domestic stocks or commodities or gold than I am now. But the U.S. stock market, to me, with all this bullishness, right, it seems to me that it's got to go down. How can all these people possibly be right? I mean, people think that there's nothing that can go wrong, right? Well, you know, Murphy had an all, has a law, right? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. 
Well, you know, there are a lot of things that can go wrong, and apparently nobody is willing to acknowledge any of them. But if you look at some of the uh, the movements here this week, you know, the commodity stocks are breaking out, inflation rates are breaking out in North America, in Europe. Look what's happening with oil. Look what's happening with industrial uh, materials. Look at some of these stocks. Some of these big uh, commodity-type stocks are breaking out of downtrends that have been in since 2011. The dollar is still weak. It couldn't even rally. All this optimism about the U.S. economy, tax cuts, everything is great. Where's the dollar? Why can't the dollar rally? It shows you how weak this is. And look at the bond market. The bond market is getting ready to break down what's going on is inflation is coming back and whatever benefit the consumer is going to get from a tax cut, right? He's going to have to spend the money on higher gas prices, higher insurance prices, right? High, you know, for you know, casualty insurance for property because of the hurricanes too and the fires. Uh, health insurance is going to go way up. I mean, and then food costs are going up. So people are going to spend whatever they whatever they save. In fact, the savings rate came out today and it hit a 10-year low. 10-year low, 2.9%, lowest savings rate in 10 years. And uh, the consumer's broke. Credit card debt, all-time high. Auto debt, all-time high. Student loans, all-time high. Three strikes, you're out. The, uh, we got the, the numbers when they came out to say personal income and spending. Personal income came in at up 0.3% which was below the 0.4% that had been expected. But consumer spending rose 0.6, which was above the 0.5, although last month they revised down from 0.3 to 0.2. So I'd say it's a push. So the consumer spending uh, you know, came out in line, but the income was shy. And of course, you spend twice what you earn. The savings rate took a dump. And of course, you know I forget when this happened, but many, many years ago, over 10 years ago, the government decided to change the way they calculate savings. And they had been calculating it a certain way for a long, long time. And at the time they did it, the savings rate was very, very low. And then they came up with a new way where they would count things as savings that in the past didn't count as savings. And now they counted. And so all of a sudden the savings rate magically rose. But if they still counted savings today the way they did in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, I bet the savings rate would be negative. I don't even think it'd be a positive 2.9. I think the only reason they got it to a positive number was because they, they changed the methodology for, for figuring it out, which is something that the governments do all the time. Now, another thing I wanted to point out, too, when, when Donald Trump signed the tax cut bill, he said we effectively repealed Obamacare. Over and over again, this is the repeal of Obamacare. You know, I didn't want to talk too much about it, he said, because I didn't want the fake news to, you know, get off. But this is Obamacare repeal. The president thinks he's repealed Obamacare by signing this bill. He hasn't repealed anything. All he's done is repeal the individual mandate so that individuals who don't buy insurance are no longer going to have to pay a tax for not buying it. That's all he's repealed. The rest of Obamacare is still here. And in fact, without that individual mandate, the rest of Obamacare is even worse. It's going to do more damage to the economy than the amount of damage it would have done had the penalty been there. In most cases, people ignore the penalty and it's just a tax. But I'm sure for some people, there may be some people who actually bought health insurance because they didn't want to pay the penalty, right? Some people might have. Not enough, but there might have been some. Well, now those people are going to drop their coverage. 
And and so what's going to happen is fewer healthy people now will buy insurance because they don't need it because all the rest of Obamacare is still there, meaning that insurance companies can't discriminate based on pre-existing conditions. So why buy insurance when you're still healthy? Wait until you're sick to buy it. So all the healthy people stop buying it. And so the premiums go up even faster for the people who still buy it, which is part of the assumptions that the government made when they when they when the Senate uh, were doing their math. They, they, they knew this was going to happen. So part of your tax savings is going to go to buy to pay your more expensive health care bill. That is the result of your tax cut if you still decide you want to buy. But also the employer mandates are still there. So employers still have to buy the overpriced uh, health insurance. So all the, the bad things about Obamacare are still there. So this is all a bunch of nonsense more talking about, oh, we've repealed Obamacare. Nothing has been repealed. It's still there and it's going to do even more damage. But you know what? Now that Trump owns that too, you might as well just call it Trump care. He wants to say we repealed Obamacare. Okay, then what's this disaster we have in healthcare? It must be Trump care. So he now owns Obamacare in addition to owning uh, the stock market. But the stock market has got to go down. I mean, there's no way all these people are right. I mean, it's crazy optimism. Everything is great. Nothing can go wrong. Oh, yeah. How about inflation pushes, pushes up bond yields? How about corporations end up having to spend more on all their debt service payments, some of which is no longer deductible? How about inflation causing an increase in their costs, their raw material costs? How about the consumer being so strapped with rising prices and no savings and record debt that earnings go down? I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong when you have an overpriced stock market priced for perfection where everybody is in, right? All the good news is out. Everybody who could possibly buy has bought. There's nobody bearish. There's nobody on the sidelines. This myth about all this cash that's sitting there, there's no cash sitting on the sidelines. Everybody is all in. So we go into a bear market. Trump owns that. But now he owns the economy. Right? He This is the Trump, the Republican economy, because they've promised all these great things that are going to happen because they cut taxes. And you know what? These great things are not going to happen. We're going into a recession. We were going to go there anyway, right? The tax cuts aren't going to cause the recession, but they're not going to stop it. The recession has to do with all the mistakes that were made under Obama, right? All the mistakes that the Fed made under Obama. But know what? Doesn't matter anymore because Obama's free and clear. You know, he's loving these tax cuts, right? It's no longer the Obama economy. Anything that go wrong now, it's on Trump, it's on the Republicans. And believe me, when we go into this recession, and it's going to be a doozy because it's going to be worse than the Great Recession, when we go into this bear market, it's all Republican, it's all Trump. And you know what the Democrats are going to say? We told you so. They cut taxes on the rich. They cut taxes on corporations, just like George Bush did. And guess what happened, right? They wrecked the economy all over again, right? We need to get rid of these guys because all they know how to do is cut taxes on the rich. They think it's going to trickle down. And in fact, all that happens is, you know, it's a, it's a collapse. It's a crisis. We need to get rid of these guys. We need to get the Democrats back in. We need to raise taxes on these rich, greedy corporations. And that's what's going to happen. And all these tax cuts are going to be temporary because they're all going to go away in 2021 when we have a Democrat for president and we have Democrats in the House and Democrats in the Senate. That's where we're heading. 
right? And so there's that old saying, be careful what you wish for, right? The Republicans just got what they wanted. They got this big tax cut wrapped up in a bow for Christmas. And believe me, it's going to be hung around their neck like an albatross. It is going to be the cause of all the problems. See, Trump had an opportunity to level with the American public and prepare them for the hangover that was the result of all the problems that were created by the Fed and Obama and talk about the things that we really needed to do to fix the economy and, and make America great again. Instead, you know, it's the same old, same old. You know, we deny all the problems, sweep them under the rug, right? Pass another deficit imploding tax cut, claim everything is great. And now when it all falls apart, you know, who's going to get blamed? And the Democrats are going to be able to run as the change. Let's let's clean house. Let's drain this swamp right there. All everything that Trump was able to say to get elected in 2016. That's what the Democrats are going to say in 2020. And it's going to work again. It's probably going to work even better. And that's going to be it. I, I've been saying that Trump is going to be Jimmy Carter in reverse. And to me, it's looking more and more like that's going to be the case, especially since I think we're going to have the same problems. Rising inflation, rising interest rates, rising unemployment. I think all those things are going to be happening, uh, certainly in time for the 2020 election. All right, finally, I've got to talk a little bit about the roller coaster ride in Bitcoin over the past several days. You know, the price of Bitcoin hit an all-time high uh, on Monday, I think it was. I mean, I've seen a couple people say their high was 19666 but I thought I saw it higher than that. I thought I saw it closer to 20000 on Bitstamp, which is, that is the, the, the website that I generally use personally when I'm looking at the cryptocurrency. So it got, you know, close to 20000 on Monday. Earlier this morning on Bitstamp, we traded as low as, 11,159. Now, of course, I say as low as, you know, put that in quotes because 11,159 is a very high price for Bitcoin. It's just not as high as the 20,000 it was at on Monday. But I also read that on other exchanges, it got closer to 1,000. I mean, maybe it even pierced 1,000 on other exchanges. But we'll just take this 11,000 as the low. That is better than a 40% decline in Bitcoin. Now, as I am recording this, we're back above 14,000. We're actually comfortably above it. So, in fact, you know, we just went through a bear market and now a whole bull market in the same day, right? I mean, the way Wall Street defines a bear market and a bull market, they're 20% moves. But obviously, you know, none of this applies to Bitcoin because, you know, if you have a bear market in two days and then it's over and then it's another bull market, I mean, is that really a bear market? I mean, this is the third time this year that Bitcoin has fallen by more than 30% in just a few days, right? So technically they were bear markets, but they were really corrections because they were over almost as quickly as they ended because Bitcoin uh, quickly turned around and made a new high, which is what I assume just about everybody who owns Bitcoin right now is expecting, right? Everybody has been conditioned by this market to buy the dip. So I'm sure most people who have owned Bitcoin uh, for a number of years you know, they're happy to see uh, the price of Bitcoin go from 20000 to 11000 Well, it's a great opportunity because you just buy more because you're guaranteed to make money because there's no way it's not going to make a new high. So now it's going to go to 25000 or 30000 and it'll be there in a few weeks. So just load up, right? This is what the market has conditioned people to do. And it is ultimately setting everybody up for a complete collapse. Now, is this the top? Was 20000 the all-time high? Is this it? 
I don't know, right? Maybe we're going to go and make a new high. There's no way to know that yet. But there's no way anybody knows that, including the people who are buying it right now. They don't know if this is a buying opportunity or a bull trap, right? And the bottom's going to fall out. But I think we'll find out soon enough how this is going to go. Because there's, I mean, this thing could really drop. I mean, if Bitcoin could drop 40% in three or four days, I mean, it can drop another 40% in another three or four days. Now, maybe it won't, but it's possible. It shows you how quickly it can go down. And I don't even believe that much volume came into the market. And I'm sure that the up volume is much less than the down volume. So somebody decided to get out and the market crashed by 40% or maybe, I don't know how many people sold, but then maybe the selling dries up and now some new buying comes in, but it might not take much new buying once the seller is away to, to move the market back up because I don't know the difference right, between the down volume and the up volume, but my feeling is that it's not that much. I think there was more going out, right, than coming back in. And maybe there's more behind that, right? There's a lot of big holders that might want to get out of Bitcoin. But I'm sure you've got a lot of people who are very complacent, who, you know, who think this is just like every other correction. And you know what? At this point, maybe it is, right? We don't know. I can give it the benefit of the doubt. Maybe this bubble is going to keep on getting bigger, right? Maybe we're going to go to 50,000. I don't know, right? Nobody else knows either. But what I do know is it's going to work until it doesn't. At some point, the market's going to implode. And let's say this is the time. What's going to happen next? Maybe we're going to go, we're going to take out 10,000. Maybe we'll go down to 5,000. But you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be trapped and they're not going to sell, right? Let's say Bitcoin was at 20,000 and it goes down to 10,000. And you think, well, I can't sell now. It's been cut in half. I don't want to sell at 10,000. It was just at 20,000. Right? Let me, maybe when it gets back up to 20,000, I'll sell. I don't want to sell for half off. Right? People have these benchmarks now in their head, which is like a, you know, a false reference point to think, well, you know, it was 20, now it's 10, and therefore it's low. 10 is high. Forget, don't, don't compare it to 20. 10,000 for Bitcoin is still very high compared to where Bitcoin was six months ago, three months ago, two weeks ago, a year ago, five years ago. Right? 10,000 is a very high price. But all of a sudden, high becomes relative. Well, it's not high relative to 20000 because some people did the mental calculation of how much their Bitcoin was worth at 20000 And now all of a sudden, if it goes to 10000 they don't feel so good about that. Now they want it to go back, uh, back up to twenty. That also creates that sense of value, right? Oh, I'm getting something cheap, right? I'm getting a bargain. It was at 20000 Now it's in $10,000. you are not getting a bargain. You're just not paying as insane a price as the guy who paid 20000 10000 is slightly less insane than 20000 but you're still overpaying, right? But people, you know, you get these false levels of value of comparisons, and that is what, you know, defines the bear market. But if we're in a bear market, a real bear market, not, you know, one of these bear markets that lasts a few days, but a real one that lasts years, I think some of the biggest percentage declines are, are in the future. I mean, not now. I mean, because now you still have a lot of people who are hopeful that it's going to come back. But imagine how quick Bitcoin can fall when people give up hope, when people say, you know what, I want out because it's going down to nothing. I just want to get out with, with what I can. Wait till there's some kind of capitulation on the part of the true believers that actually say, you know, I want to get out. I want to salvage what I've got because we're not even close to that, right? That, that has never happened with Bitcoin, right? No matter how much it goes down, People are just so confident it's going to come back. Now, I'm sure there are some people 
that got in you know, near the top have no idea what Bitcoin is, uh, have no philosophical you know, uh, you know, alignment with, with Bitcoin. They just wanted to make a quick buck because they thought they were missing out and everybody else was getting rich. Now, sure, you know, we've had big drops in Bitcoin in the past, but mentally are some of these new buyers prepared for that? So some of those people may throw in the towel quicker right, to try to cut their losses and they may walk away and, and not be there, right? That new demand that was there at the highs, all that euphoric, easy money can't lose. You know, I mentioned earlier the uh, all-time record low savings rate and, uh, um, and the big surge that we had in credit card debt. And I'm wondering how much of that credit card debt was cash advances being used to buy Bitcoins or is it even a cash advance when you go online and buy a Bitcoin with your credit card, is it just a purchase? I think it is. You're just buying Bitcoin as opposed to buying something else. So there could have been a lot of credit card debt being taken out to buy Bitcoin, right? So um, a lot of that money, obviously, you know, that quick money might go away. It may never come back, right? They might have learned a, a quick lesson. But also now, one thing that's different between now and the past is we've never had futures contracts, right? We've never had the ability to short, really, Bitcoin on these prior breaks. So now, now that you've had some technical breakdown in the chart, uh, there could be some more downward pressure on Bitcoin this time around on the short side that wasn't there in the prior two corrections. So in that respect, we may be in a little bit of uncharted territory. Of course, you could make the argument that, well, now we can have a short squeeze. Now we can have people getting trapped short and, uh, and, and then they may have to cover. Uh, so that's also a possibility. But there's been a lot of damage. And again, just like with the stock market, and I mentioned this on the show, the amount of press coverage that I saw on, on Bitcoin over the last week or two was unprecedented, unprecedented, nonstop talking. So that certainly was a sign that that might have been the top. I mean, that is the type of stuff that you get. And you also had a number of companies change their name. Long Island Ice Tea becomes Long Blockchain or, and triples in price, quadruples in price. A lot of different companies have got caught up in the hype, renaming themselves with some kind of Bitcoin or blockchain in their name, like the dot-com. So that's the kind of euphoria. That's the kind of attention that you would expect. By the way, of course, I mentioned CNBC did not call me to talk about Bitcoin at all, even though they know my uh, perspective on it. They had so many people there to debate. They won't even have me on to talk about Bitcoin. That's how much they don't want Peter Schiff on. But I did get a lot of invites from, you know, you know, lesser tier, you know, RT or various other cable internet venues that are not quite on the level of Fox or CNBC. They invited me on. So I did more Bitcoin talking. Uh, to the media over the last week than I generally do or I've ever done before. So I was on a lot of these programs. But if you look at the, the bigger shows, nonstop, every guest, what's your opinion on Bitcoin? What do you think about Bitcoin? Topic, they have the ticker on the screen. I've never seen CNBC before where they, they just show the Bitcoin price on the screen live all the time, just like the Dow Jones, the S&P, Bitcoin, right? So it's all there. They're all, it's all they're talking about. So that is, again, has the hallmarks of the type of activity that would happen near a, a market peak. So people have to be very cautious. And again, you know, I've mentioned on this show that, you know, I, you know, I didn't get in on Bitcoin years ago. I mean, I outsmarted myself out of, you know, obviously a lot of money that I could have made. I, I underestimated the bubble potential 
of Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. I, I didn't realize that people would be this foolish or this greedy or whatever. I mean, you know, I don't know why, because, you know, I, I should never be surprised by how foolish people are because, you know, they, they, they're, they're always a lot more foolish than you think. So I, I probably should have seen the potential for people to, you know, to bite on this. But if you were fortunate enough or foolish enough to have done what I didn't do and you're sitting on a big pile of Bitcoins, sell. And again, I, I, you know, I don't tell people to sell everything. I'm not going to try to tell you to do that. But sell something. I mean, I keep talking to people who don't sell anything. Look, you can't lose if you sell something, right? If Bitcoin keeps going up and, and you sell, well, then you make money on what you didn't sell. And if it collapses, well, at least you took something off the table. I mean, don't let the market take back all of your gains. If you were smart enough or lucky enough or dumb enough to make all this money, don't be dumb enough to give it all back, right? Don't be a pig, right? Bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. Don't be a pig, sell something. And again, I think the best way to sell is to buy gold. Buy gold or silver with your Bitcoin because if you're worried about uh, inflation, if you're worried about central banks, you're worried about the dollar, and that's why you own Bitcoin, you know, take some profits and buy some real gold, buy some real silver, open up an account at Gold Money, goldmoney.com. You can actually use your Bitcoins. You can open up an account, fund it with your Bitcoins, and then exchange your Bitcoins for gold and silver. You don't have to exchange them all. In fact, you can put all your Bitcoins over there. They'll store the ones that you don't, that you don't sell, so you can still keep some. And you know what? Every time it rallies, it makes new highs sell a little bit more. You don't, you don't have to sell it all. You got to sell into the rally. You got to feed the ducks when they're quacking. Because believe me, one day they're not going to quack, right? And, and so you got to feed them when they're hungry. And, you know, and if you haven't even sold any, right, don't make the mistake and think, well, I can't sell now. I can't sell at 14500 because a week ago it was 20000 So if it goes up to 20000 sell a little bit more, right? You got to sell into these high prices. And, you know, if you want to buy some of it, you want to trade some on the dips, you know, I guess obviously had you sold some near 20000 last week, maybe you could buy some back here, you know, to trade it, have some have some trading coins. I mean, obviously, this is this is some massive volatility. I think that's why a lot of these exchanges are really being attracted to Bitcoin. It's because of the volatility, because the more volatility that you have, the more opportunity that you have as a trader, you know, and I think a lot of the you know, the people that support Bitcoin are trying to say, hey, these exchanges getting involved, this validates the legitimacy of the currency. It doesn't validate anything other than the fact that there's money to be made trading. There's volatility. There's action. And that's what the exchanges are attracted to. That's what the traders are attracted to. The action. It doesn't matter fundamentally whether there's any value there at all. Right. And, I, and you can argue that. And I have argued that. But what you can't argue is that there's a lot of money being made and lost trading. There's opportunities. Now, the volume is not as big as in other markets, but the volatility is much bigger. And so, you know, you, you maybe you have quicker moves where you can make bigger profits. The problem is you don't get as much leverage. I mean, you got to put down an awful lot of money to trade Bitcoin futures. You don't get the kind of leverage that you would get in a less volatile market where, you, you know, you can really lever up. Here, you know, buying a Bitcoin future, it's almost as expensive as buying uh, Bitcoin cash. But... The volatility is there. So it's a, it's a trader's dream, but eventually it's going to be an investor's nightmare.